0: You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn J Town. In this series, we're following Jesus as he calls us to take on his yoke so that we might experience true flourishing. So hear the word of the Lord. So as Jesus left and was going out of the temple, that his disciples came up and called his attention to its buildings. And he replied to them, do you see all these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. And while he is sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, "Uh, tell us when will these things happen and what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, because these are things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of these events are the beginning of labor pains. And then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not go down to get things out of his house, and a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in the winter or on Sabbath. For at that time, there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Unless those days were cut short, no one would be saved. But those days will be cut short because of the elect. If anyone tells you then, see, here is the Messiah over here, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note, I have told you in advance. See if they tell you. See, he he's in the wilderness. Don't go out. Or see, he's in the storerooms. Do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the carcass is, there, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branches becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that the summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to you in love. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Um, we need your spirit's presence. We need your spirit to kind of help us see what's in this text. And uh, Lord, just Give us clear uh, kind of ways that we can apply and, and and move forward with what you're saying here, God. Yeah, thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All righty. Woo hoo! So uh, this is going to be a, a lot of fun. So um, looking forward to diving into this text with you this morning. So um, I think all of us would have to say. Uh, you know, this is not anything new, but there's a, a huge fascination, no matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian, uh, with kind of the, the end times. Anything that's dealing with apocalyptic literature or end times, I mean, I think there's, a, uh, yeah, a massive fascination with this. And, and especially in 2020, I don't know if you've done this, but you might want to. You can do a little Google search on uh, not Google, but just do a search on YouTube and you can find some interesting things being said about what happened in 2020. And, and to some extent, uh, kind of rightfully so, 2020 was a, a pretty unique year. Uh, I'll give you a, some samples here. And, and actually, Tony Stanrod hit on a few of these samples at the end of his sermon or end of uh, this year or last year when he... Uh, did the last sermon of the year. But I don't know if you know this, but uh, as far as natural disasters, specifically within hurricanes, uh, within the Atlantic Ocean, this is, there's, this is the largest number of hurricanes that we've ever had in the history of when they started recording these. I don't know how many years that is, but that's a lot. Uh, they actually went through, they have these, I didn't realize this, but they have predetermined names already set for the hurricane season. So they went through all the predetermined names and then they started working through the Greek alphabet. So there's only a second, this is the second time in all of history that that has happened. So there's been an unprecedented number of hurricanes that happened in the hurricane season. In 2020, We've had some weird insects over 2020. I think Tony mentioned this uh, in a sermon about the killer hornets. Amen. So now maybe not amen. I don't know. It's like that came sort of right at the beginning of the COVID situation. It's like, can we have something else to kind of put our minds, you know, a little anxious about? Now i like, walk outside and get stung by a killer hornet. Like, I don't know what happened to them. Maybe, maybe they did something and got rid of them. Another, you know, there's massive locusts that went on in uh, Africa, destroying all kinds of crops. I don't know if you guys... Read about that uh, in 2020, still looking to see what kind of ramifications that's going to happen to us over the next couple years. Uh, There was a UFO sighting this past summer, you know, that was just a blip on the news of all that was going on this past summer. But uh, there was, there was like an unidentified flying object that no one has ever explained. What is going, what was that for crying out loud? And maybe think about the X-Files, I don't know if you guys are... Okay, maybe not many people are in my era. So the social unrest, the racial tension, all the political craziness, the capital being uh, somewhat overtaken. I mean, um, and then we were in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. So there was a lot going on in 2020 uh, for people that are really fascinated with the end times to do all kinds of crazy stuff with. And can I just get one little amen, right? And so the reality is, is that this is not anything new. This fascination with the end times. This is not like something just rolled up on the scenes here within the last 100 years. This has been something that's been around for a really long time. And even in this text, we see it. It's kind of, you know, fascinating for even the disciples. And so I don't know if you, if you caught this. So, so Jesus and the disciples are leaving Jerusalem, and uh, Jesus basically says the, the prediction of the temple being destroyed, like, this is, going, this is not going to be here in a few short years. It's going to be absolutely destroyed. And so, when, when the disciples hear this, this is like, hold on. You know, this is a central part of their identity. And you know, it's like an enormous part. It's been around for thousands of years. And, and you're telling me this thing's going to be like leveled? Like, hold on here. What's going on? And so, then in verse three, this prediction of the leveling of the temple. Prompts the disciples to come to Jesus and ask him two questions. Look what they, what they say here. So while, our, while he was sitting on Mount of Olives, disciples approached him privately and said to them, here's the first question, tell us when will these things happen? And I like uh, the NIV translation of this because it, it kind of makes it more singular. When will this happen? Referring to what you just said, Jesus, you just said the temple is going to be leveled. Well, tell us when this will happen. And then the second part, the second question here, and what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so they are two distinct separate questions, but for Jews and disciples in this time, they were connected. And, and their mind and their understanding of the, the, the second coming, the, when Jesus would come back and establish his reign physically on earth for all and ever, all eternity, that these were interconnected. Like the, the destruction of the temple imminent return of Jesus Christ. And so, so in their minds, these are, these are all together here. But, but Jesus is trying to help them see like, well, there, there are two events, but there's a little more space here between these two events. And so what I see going on here is um, in, the, in this chapter, as well as in kind of the end of 24 into 25, is Jesus answering these two questions. The first question, when will this happen? the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem is answered in the verses we just read, from verse 4 to verse 35. I know there's other interpretations here. I I get that, read that, but from what I can understand, and, and quite frankly, a kind of a plain reading of the text, it seems to me That Jesus is answering the first question from verses 4 to 35, which kind of helps us sort of make sense of what's going on with all that's happening here. Like, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about what's getting ready to happen in history uh, when Jerusalem is totally destroyed and the temple is leveled. And then he comes back starting in verse 36, which we'll get to in the next few weeks, so... We're going to be camping and swimming around in this. He comes back and answers the second question, which is what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? So these are two separate events. He's trying to help his disciples. See, these are separate here, all right? Two great questions. Understand why you'd have them totally together. But they're actually two historical events that are a little bit more separated. And so in verses 4 through 35, I'm going to answer the first question. When will this happen? When will the destruction of Jerusalem and the leveling of the temple happen? And so what I'd like to do this morning, uh, as best I can here, is to kind of dive back into this passage and sort of like swim in it for a little bit, and then at the end land with kind of like three warnings that I think is in this text, all right? So that may sound like a lot. I promise we'll get through this uh, pretty quickly. So if you, if you do have a Bible, it's great to kind of have it open. If you don't, open your phone It's on the screen, but sometimes it's good to kind of see it, you know, with your eyeballs and put your finger on it. So uh, verse 4 through 8, Jesus is talking about this kind of chaos that's going to go on in the world, which is still going on today, right? He talks about wars and rumors of wars and nations against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms and famines and earthquakes. This all... Kinds of chaos that's happening in the world that's still happening today, and in the times leading up to the destruction of the temple, they were really unsettling times. And what Jesus is trying to help them say see here is that that is not the end. End meaning the destruction of the temple, not the end. End. Because he's going to answer that question later. So that's not the end. It's actually the beginning of the birth pains as you hear of these things and see of the kind of the chaos that's going on in the world. And Then in verse 9, he he jumps in and talks about this kind of crisis that's going to happen amongst God's people because Jesus is leaving the earth. And the animosity and the anger that's been fully directed toward Jesus while he's been in ministry for three and a half years is now going to be shifted to the disciples because Jesus is no longer there. And that's what we see here. Look what he says, starting in verse nine. Then they will hand you over to be persecuted. And they did this and they will kill you. And they did this. You will be hated by all nations because of my name Then many will fall away, betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because the lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. And if you read the second half of the New Testament, you see that all of this is being played out. I mean, you go to the you know the Book of Revelation, where John you know writes his letter, and he writes to the first seven churches, and he writes to Ephesus. And he what, what's the one thing he has against them? Their first love. They've abandoned that first love. So all of this is coming to fruition as we even read the second half of the New Testament, and this is all going to be happening before the destruction of the temple. I'm letting you know this. I don't want you to be alarmed. I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to be deceived. Stand strong, stay firm. This is how it's supposed to happen here. And then after that, starting in verse 15, going down to verse 25, Jesus talks about the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Look what he says here, which is an absolute horrific event that happened in the lives of those people that were living in this time. Verse 15, he says this, so when you see the abomination of the desolation, what in the world? <laughs> like, what is that? Spoken by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. So what is, what is Jesus talking about with this abomination of desolation? Is this some kind of, you know, mythical beast? Is this the Antichrist? You know, what is going on here? What's, it's coming directly out of Daniel. And, and this is where uh, I would land also um, Even though I I, I do believe that primarily what Jesus is talking about in this text is the destruction of the temple, there are layers to fulfillment. There There are multiple fulfillments of prophecy here. And so one layer of fulfillment happened of this abomination of desolation in 167 B.C. And it seems like what Jesus is saying here is another layer of this fulfillment when Jesus kind of predicts a similar act of desecration as sort of a a precursor to the temple's destruction. Now, what form is this? What does this look like? Well, it's sort of left unclear, but most likely it's the invasion of Rome. So after this five-month siege that they do against Rome, they, they eventually come in. And when this is happening, Jesus is warning them, giving them a heads up, that when you see this run. That's what he's saying. I mean, look what he says in verse 16. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not go down to get things out of his house. Get out of there. A man in the field must not go back to get his coat. No, you don't need your coat. Run, right? Right? Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in the winter on the Sabbath. Why the winter? Well, because it's cold and the roads are not passable. Why on the Sabbath? Because the gates are shut in Jerusalem. Verse 21. For at that time there will be great distress, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. Unless those days were cut short, No one would be saved. But those days will be cut short because of the elect. This is about an historical event that happened in the disciples' generation. It's not about the end of the world. And Josephus, a Jewish historian, said that more than a million Jews died during this time. He gives us a glimpse of this kind of awful day when he says this. It's kind of a lengthy quote, but I've got it on the screen here. As the legions charged in, neither persuasion nor threat could check their moving forcefully. Passion alone was in command. Crowded together around the entrance, many were trampled by their friends. Many fell among the still hot and smoking ruins of the colonnades and died as miserably as the defeated as they neared the sanctuary, they pretended not even to hear Caesar's commands and urged the men in front to throw in more and more firebands. The partisans were no longer in a position to help. Everywhere was slaughter and flight. Most of the victims were peaceful citizens, weak and unarmed, butchered wherever they were caught. Round the altar, the heaps of corpses grew higher and higher, while down the sanctuary's steps poured a river of blood. And the bodies of those killed at the top slithered to the bottom. And Jesus is saying, these days will be so terrible and horrifying that you will think it's the end of everything, but it's it's not. And you're going to have false prophets and people rise up and in periods of distress and difficulty and say, he's come back. You know, I, you didn't see it, but... He's over here in the storeroom, you know, he, he showed up. I know you, you didn't see it, but I, I know, I saw him, he, he's come back and, and Jesus is going, don't listen to him. Don't be deceived. That's what he's getting after in verse 27. Cause when I come back, when I officially come back, it will not be a mistake or no one will be going, I don't know what just happened. Everyone will know what happened, right? You, the whole entire universe will know when he comes back. That's what he's trying to get at. And verse 27, for he says, for as a lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, right? You see it, right? Like there's no mistaking of it. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then after talking about the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, look what he says here starting in verse 29. And immediately after the stress of those days, what days? Not a trick question, right? What he just said, those days are the destruction of Jerusalem and the the destruction of the temple immediately after the distress of those days. And so what he says from here to verse 31 has to be understood in that context. He's giving kind of like Uh, symbolic language of what is actually kind of going on as a result of the destruction of the temple. So I know it's way out there. It's like, what in the world? Look what he says here. Immediately after the stress of those days, the stress of Jerusalem being destroyed and the leveling of the temple, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of heavens will be shaken. What? That sounds crazy, right? Uh, then the son of uh, the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of the sky. The other, so what in the world is Jesus talking about? They're keeping it in the context of the destruction of Jerusalem and the leveling of the temple. This is highly symbolic language speaking of political upheaval. This is coming directly out of Old Testament prophecy. Verse 29 is the quote of two verses mashed together. So it's coming out of Isaiah 13, where using this kind of cosmic upheaval language, it's talking about God's judgment on Babylon. The second phrase is coming out of Isaiah 34. Same thing, this cosmic upheaval is describing God's judgment on Edom. Where the language of cosmic upheaval symbolizes the political fall of pagan Nations. R.T. France, in his large commentary, which has been really helpful for me, says this about this verse here. The cosmic language here is drawn directly from the Old Testament prophetic passages where it functions not to predict the physical dissolution of the universe, but as a symbolic representation of catatro- catastrophic <laughs> political changes within history. He goes on to say... The prophetic imagery used here enables the reader to understand that what is to be destroyed is not just a magnificent building, but a center of power compared to ancient Babylon. And when such a power structure collapses, another is needed to take its place. That's why in the next verses you hear about the Son of Man coming in the clouds, which is also drawn out of Daniel chapter 7, which points to the vindication and enthronement of Jesus, which began at the end of this week that Jesus is talking about when he was crucified, murdered, buried, rose again, and ascended eventually to the right hand of the Father. Why not the left hand? Is God against lefties? Right? It's like is the example kind of like No, why why the right hand? Because it's a metaphor for the power and the sovereignty of God. That's why. And so this is not a literal upheaval of the cosmic nature here. It's a symbolic language that's helping us see that, yeah, we've got some people that think they're in charge, but there's one who's ultimately in charge, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and his name is Jesus, and controlling all of history, and bring it to its appointed end. As R.T. France goes on and says, another quote here, in this context... Therefore, the poetic language appropriately refers to the great changes that were about to take place in the world when Jerusalem and its temple were destroyed. It speaks of the Son of Man entering into his kingship and the angels gathering in his new people from all the earth. The fall of the temple is thus presented in a highly elusive language as the end of the old order to be replaced by the renewed regime of Jesus, the son of man and the international growth of his church, the new people of God. That's what I think is going on in these very difficult verses to kind of understand. And then Jesus ends this little section out saying this, starting in verse 32, He says this, learn this lesson from the fig tree As soon as its branches become tender and sprouts leaves, you know that the summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that, and I like the NIV translation here better, it, it, referring to the destruction of Jerusalem, the leveling of the temple is near, at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation, well, how long is a generation in the Bible, Lyle? Forty years. So he's speaking to them. He's somewhere in the 30s here, right? 30, 31, 32, somewhere around there. Within this generation, within 40 years, this is going to happen. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And if you know history you know that within about 40 years, 70 A.D., this is exactly what happened. Jerusalem fell and the temple was leveled. So, what do you do with this, right? I mean, I mean hopefully, I, I, as you sit back and reflect upon this a little bit, hopefully your, your trust deepens, that even after a chaotic year of 2020, like we're reminded that Jesus is not surprised. God's in control. He's, he's doing something here. Hopefully you can see that even though it may experience chaos and feel chaotic, that it's not. It's not. Jesus knows what's going on. He knows where he's taking things. And so hopefully, on one level, it. And deepens your trust and brings some encouragement and peace, maybe, to your own soul. Here's the one thing I think we gotta know, and I think I heard this from you, Brian Vickers, um, somewhere. Um, anytime the New Testament writers and Jesus talks about the future, it's never about the future. We always want to make it about the future, right? We're always wanting to draw you know, dots and lines. Oh, this is what this means. Oh, yeah, he's the Antichrist. I know it, right? I mean, how many times has the Antichrist been predicted over the last 2,000 years? I mean, it's like, can we just stop? We Maybe we don't have a clue who it's gonna be. Maybe there's multiple Antichrists, right? So, but it's funny. We get so obsessed about the future and anytime you see Jesus or any New Testament writers, it's never really about the future. It's about the now. I'm telling you this so that you can Live in a certain way right now. Not so that we can use chapters like this to find it like it's a puzzle and i got to decode it. Oh, i got to find all the little things and here. Oh, there's the message. There's the word. i got to read it backwards and forward. Whatever you're saying. Like, you know, it's not like there's a, you know, the old record players where if you play it backwards, it has a secret message to it. There's, that's what's going on here. It's like I'm telling you what's going to happen. Not so that you can go and decode things, but so that you can know how to live right now. And so in light of that, here are three warnings, and then we'll land the plane here. First warning is this, don't be deceived. Don't be led astray. Isn't it interesting that the first words out of Jesus' mouth to answer the question from the disciples about when the end is going to come, he says, watch out. Watch out. That word is a command that means be always on the lookout. So Jesus' disciples ask from him dates and signs. And the first thing that Jesus does is warn them against people who claim to have them. Say it again, right? So, So it lands on us here. The first words out of Jesus' mouth when the disciples say, we want dates and signs, he first thing he says, he warns them against people who claim to have them. So if you see maps and you hear people making predictions of when it's going to happen and trying to make connections in historical events, be on the alert. Watch out, don't be deceived. As one writer says, thought this quote was really good is it. It is observable that Christ here says to his disciples tends more to engage their caution than to satisfy their curiosity. Jesus first commands on the end times is for us to have some theological sanity. So be careful what you listen to on YouTube. That's where the wolves are. Be really, really careful. I love how Brenner says this. He says, the signs of the end are not so much decipherable political events as they are warnings, love this, to be level-headed, clear-thinking, and warmly loving Christians in difficult times. Jesus does not so much charge the air with signs as he charges his disciples with sobriety. Jesus' sermon, that's what's going on here. It's the fifth block of teaching from Jesus in the book of Matthew. 24 and 25 are a sermon from Jesus. Jesus' sermon does not intend to create apocalyptic seers, but to create spiritual long-distance runners. It does not so much give disciples supernatural knowledge of coming events, As it supplies with supernatural endurance for any coming events, including a world pandemic. First warning do not be deceived, do not be led astray. Watch out, watch out. Second warning is this, and I think this is rooted in the text too don't be surprised, don't be shocked. Don't be alarmed. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have a love-hate relationship with surprises, right? And I'm sure most of us do. There's some things we love being surprised. A surprise birthday party, awesome, love it. Surprise anniversary party, awesome, love it. Surprise gift, wasn't expecting this in the mail. Woo, love it, you know what I'm saying? But there's other surprises we really don't like at all, right? We don't like to go into a meeting and find out the meeting was actually an evaluation of you. Right? And like, ah, that's not a good surprise. I'm not ready for that. Usually when I do lunches, and I had a lunch this week, and I talked to this guy about this, and usually when I do a lunch with someone, I don't know what the topic is. Usually I'll, like, email, hey, or text them, say, can you give me a heads up on what the conversation's about? And I forgot to do this with this guy that I met with this Wednesday, and I told, told him I was sharing this today, because I talked about it in the meeting uh, with him. And so my way, on my, my whole day on Wednesday was racked with anxiety, because I was going, oh my gosh, what is this meeting about? Should I listen to the last six sermons I had, just to see kind of what I needed a nuance say, ah, I should have said that. That was really, you know, just me talking craziness, you know, forgive me for that. I'm like, really? Like, I had no idea what I was walking into because that's the kind of surprise that like, I don't like. I want to be ready. Like I want to be ready so I can kind of have a conversation with you. And it was actually a great conversation. We laughed about my uh, weird anxiety. But I think all of you would agree. Like this is That's the kind of surprises we don't like. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing for the disciples. I don't want you to be shocked. I don't want you to be taken off guard. I'm telling you these things so you'll be ready for it the world is going to do what the world does for every age and every age of the church it has experienced earth world shaking trials and tribulations pandemics plagues wars famines floods more wars hurricanes tsunamis mass shootings more wars and jesus is telling hey this is the course of history don't be shocked this is how it's going to be. Don't be surprised. Don't let these things take you off of God's call on your life. Right now as a as a high school junior high student as a college student, as a single trying to figure things out, as a married couple, as someone's in the, you know, the empty nester years, whatever it is, God has got a call on your life. And that call primarily centers around faithfulness. And we'll look into this more in the next couple weeks. But be faithful where you are and don't allow the craziness to get you distracted. Because we're not shocked. Of course there should be a world pandemic. This world is not as it should be. We're just fortunate that it hasn't happened more, right? because of the advancement of medicine and God's common grace in all peoples, right? But we shouldn't be surprised. So if you come here today, find yourself anxious and fearful of all that's going on, then my encouragement for you is just hear what Jesus would say, not in a trite, condemning way, but he would just say, look, don't be afraid. Yeah, life is really, really hard. And yes, this world is going crazy, but I am in control and I will be with you to the end of the age. So don't be surprised. Don't be deceived. And the last one is this, and I'll do this quickly. Don't be crushed. I got this from reading a a lecture from Jonathan Pennington on the end times and thought he brought this out really well. So in verse 14, it's it's interesting. Go back home and read it. In the midst of a a, a passage that feels really chaotic. It's like, what in the world's going on? It's like everything just feels chaotic. In verse 14, you have certainty. And it says, the gospel of the kingdom will, Will be preached to all the nations. There's no questioning that. In the midst of a ton of chaos, here's the one thing we know for certain the gospel of the kingdom will, will be preached. Or another way of thinking about this the gospel of the kingdom will advance. The current state of this world and Every one of us would agree with this. Is not the true and complete one. We would all say yes to this, and that's why we. The aspect of the Lord's prayer that we pray is that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. This earth and this world is not as it should be. It's not our right, but the hidden world, the world above with God, will soon crashed down upon this world with amazing suddenness and force, listen to me, crushing all that is not aligned with God. It reminds me of um, the psych episode. I don't know if you guys are into psych or not. It's great, great series. A lot of good in that. It's just good. I mean, some, you know, you got to listen with this. Watch with discretion, but overall, great show. So I don't know, I'm, I'm like backtracking, like somebody might like, come to me and say, what in the world? But there's one show, well, moving on here. Uh, I don't know if it's season three or four, but you guys are probably, my boys are probably know what it is, but they're, they're in this kind of set of a cowboy thing and there's a, there's a barn, right, right, that's getting ready, like the, the, the front side of this barn is getting ready to collapse, not not the whole barn, but like the wall of the barn, in front of it, is getting ready to collapse down and for them to be saved from getting smashed and crushed by the barn, the barn wall, which is pretty big, you know, saying so they, they find the window, right? And they both huddle together and they're, they're saved. They go right through the window. So they're, they're, their bodies are aligned perfectly with the window. And so they're able to escape from this coming crashing of this wall and they, they go unharmed. And here's my point, even though that sounds a little far fetched so too will the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus makes it clear. That only those who do the will of the Father in heaven will enter this kingdom. And the invitation today and the warning to heed is to align yourself with the kingdom of heaven by receiving the king whose name is Jesus. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is going to crash down onto this earth and it will smash all that is not aligned with it. That is the future coming where what is going on in the heavens now becomes a reality on the earth. And the only way that we escape unharmed from the coming crashing of this kingdom is by receiving this king whose name is Jesus. And that's the warning and the invitation. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says over and over, today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. That's why Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says this. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. We're on day two. <laughs> Figuratively speaking, right? The Lord does not delay his promise. As some understand delay, but what? He's patient. Thank God he is. He's patient with you and with me. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So hear the warning, receive the invitation, don't be crushed. Repent, align yourself with the coming reality of the universe by aligning yourself and giving your life to the king whose name is Jesus. Don't be deceived. Don't be surprised. Don't be crushed. Let's pray. Let's just take a few seconds here just to be still and to be quiet before the Lord. Hey, I'm Lyle Drury and the lead pastor at Sojourn Church J-Town. Thanks for listening. We are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and send them into the world to be a faithful, loving presence. For more sermons, info about our church, or ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com jtown J-Town.